Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you are struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. It dawned on me, I had a smashed windshield. So I was like, hey, asshole, what about my windshield? And those are words that I'll I'll regret for the rest of my life. Because he came back and put the knife up against my neck again. And we stood there for a while. He still wanted me to go with him. I was like, I, I knew in my mind if I went with him, I would probably be dead today. Hi, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry, and this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode. And a week away from, where are we going, Tara? We're going to CrimeCon Orlando, Florida. CrimeCon Orlando, Florida, September 22nd through the 24th. We will be there. We have a booth. We're doing a panel or our own little panel. We got a lot going on, right? Yeah, well, we're going to do a live Survivor Squad podcast show, but it's just going to be you and I because it's finally time that we talk about our own stories a little bit. Is that what we're doing? I guess that's what we're doing, guys. There we are. There you have it. We're going to talk about our own stories on the Survivor Squad podcast, I guess, at CrimeCon Live. So there you go. (laughs) So I get to ask you all the questions I never ask you. That's great. So we get to ask each other questions. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and we have special merchandise, right? We have uh, our No Trauma Dumping t-shirt. Or, um, yes. Or woman's, uh, yes, you're wearing it right now, No Trauma Dumping. Racer, women's Racerback tee. We have our Mary Soul stickers, our, our, our Survivor Squad stickers. We'll have podcast flyers, which I have yet to make <laughs> because time is running out. <laughs> yes. And it's going to be hot and humid, right? Yeah, it's Orlando, Florida, right? But what is the most exciting thing we have in anticipation of CrimeCon, Tara? Oh my goodness, we're going to the kickoff party. If you guys are not going, you guys should go because we have matching outfits. We do. It is a neon theme party. We are we are getting in the spirit. I normally don't do the dress up thing, but I was like, you know what? We should do that in celebration of a very cool movie that came out this summer. Yes, and I'm really excited. I was just wearing it yesterday around the house. <laughs> of course you were. Um, <laughs> yes. But it would be very exciting, and we get to meet all kinds of really cool people who we've interviewed on the podcast who will be there at the at the event. And our guest today, Jane Borowski. Yes, I'm so excited to meet her in person. She's going to be there with Crawl Space Media and the team that did Dark Valley. By the way, if you guys are going to CrimeCon, we will be in the on podcast row. I think we are actually right next to Crawl Space, are we not? Yes, we are. Well, there we go. All right. Yeah, so we'll be there and uh, we'll be doing live podcasting, live streaming from our booth, as well as our live event uh, session on Sunday morning. So yeah, it's very going to be very cool. But uh, let's uh, t- chat a little bit about our guest who's got an amazing and wild story, right? Oh, yeah. Well, she worked with other survivors with the Dark Valley podcast. Um, you guys could get to know the story fully on there. But she is a survivor of a brutal attack of a serial killer. And so I'm 
just so intrigued by the story, to be honest, because it's unsolved. Yeah. They haven't found the guy yep. or guys or I don't know. But yeah. Jane, with Jane's case, it was only one. Yeah, it was interesting. And, and you know, then that kind of sent her, that sort of trauma of that attack affected her life in other ways, too, which she shares in the podcast very bravely. And it's very, very cool. And it's a fantastic interview. So um, what do you think? Let's get into it. Yes, let's get into it. stop i don't want them to be forgotten you know if you look you think about it um like you know you had jeffrey dahmer or any other famous serial killer you know their name but do you know any of the victims names that they murdered you know earl you lindsay really... <laughs> <laughs> i was just gonna say earl lindsay <laughs> but you know, I, you really don't know their names. Uh, people out there don't know their names. They know, you know, who murdered them. And that needs to change, you know. That's that's one thing about uh, doing the true crime podcasting. I, I find that a lot of people are starting to feel the way that we do with true crime and with the true crime podcasting. They're not glorifying the monsters as much as they, they were before. They're, they're really focusing on the victims and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, you know, <laughs> I guess I think about my own story. Like nobody really knows my mother's name, Noreen Boyle, but they know my father's name, and it's and they know my name, and they they know my name by coming forward and advocating for my mother and for justice for her, right? But it's I just thought of that while we were talking. Um, Mike. I have a question about your gambling and, and serving time for that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So one of the things that I have always struggled with, and I'm curious if this, cause you're talking about your PTSD and things, I've had this overwhelming fear and paranoia of ending up like my father, of ending up like my father incarcerated for committing a crime and fear of jail and prison and things like that. And, um, uh, and even though I've had a relationship with my father while he's in prison and had that cultivated over 30 years, I, um, I wonder if almost going through that trauma, you know, obviously gambling is an addiction and gambling is something a lot of people struggle with, just like alcohol, drugs, it's all the same thing. But I almost wonder if a small part of that is like this sort of subconscious self-fulfilling prophecy of this like cycle of survivor's guilt mixed with this fear of being incarcerated of committing these crimes and it's like the self-fulfilling prophecy what do you think about that well for one um there's a lot of people out there that suffer from ptsd that have an addiction um unfortunately it's drugs or alcohol or, or even gambling my choice was you know gambling um my addiction was my way of escaping the reality of what really happened to me. And um, when I went to jail, I was angry. 
I was so angry because, yeah, I took response. I, I took full responsibility for my actions. I, I never made excuses. I didn't use my attack for an excuse. But I could not, I couldn't, I couldn't ignore the fact that had I not been attacked, what I had became, what I had become a, a compulsive gambler with that addiction, which put me in jail. So while I was in jail, I was angry as hell. I was like, here I am, I'm in jail, and he's not. That's and what I was getting at. I, I was really angry about that. That was the thing that was on my mind the most the whole time I was in jail. Here I am in jail, and this is where he should be. Yeah, it was it was a lot of angry anger, a lot of anger. But you know, I I still. I did my time. I did what I was supposed to. Uh, owned up to everything I did. And to me, that made me a better person than him. I think it's great when people own up to their actions and their they take accountability for it because otherwise you're kind of like a narcissist or, you know, you're more likely to, like, do it over again if you're denying it, denying that it happened. Like, with Collier's dad, you know, um, he denies what happened to Collier's mom, in a sense, or denies it in a sense, right? Yeah, my father definitely does not accept responsibility or manipulates his responsibility, you know, or he's, I'm responsible for her death. I didn't premeditate her murder. I didn't, you know, all this, it was an accident, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the one-armed man, whatever. It's, it's all, it's, it's always, it's more from one thing to another, right? So if you act like that, you know, no way, no. <laughs> you're not, re- you're not rehabilitated. Yeah, uh, uh, it's a, and not until you take full responsibility for your actions and not make excuses, you're not rehabilitated from from it. And and it's you know, there's a difference. You know, there's people that can show remorse, take full responsibility, and um, you know, try to get help for themselves, and and, and apologize. And then there's the narcissists out there that blame everybody else for their bad choices and their bad actions. And uh, it is a difference. I showed remorse. (laughs) I showed a great deal of remorse. I took responsibility. I apologized. I, you know, I paid for what I did. And uh, so to me, that makes me the better person. (laughs) For sure. How how long were you incarcerated for, by the way? I was only incarcerated for a couple of weeks, but um, that couple of weeks was that couple of weeks was huge, man. I'll tell you. What has ever been in, been in jail? Okay, like and known like <laughs> being be, being held against your will, especially someone like yourself who's who was attacked, who was violated. You know what I mean? It was was you know quote unquote helpless, right? Being in those situations is so triggering. I mean, I have been arrested, yeah. For, oh, yeah. you know, and it is, you know, and you're, and you're like, I, I need to get out of here. I, I like, 
get me out of here. And like, nobody, you're where you belong. You committed a crime. <laughs> it's very traumatic because you st your mind just starts racing. Like you were just saying, you're thinking about him not being in that situation. And here you are. Um, yeah, it's it sucks. It sucks. Oh, them Tim days told me that I, I don't ever want to go back there. Why people would reoffend and go back to jail, I have no idea because I'll tell you, what, I don't never want to go back there. I'm like on the straight and narrow now, and I don't, <laughs> I never want to go back there ever. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't in jail, jail. I was in, uh, call your, what is it called? Was it the drunk tank? Was it the holding, like a holding, oh, you're in trouble? I think you're, I was you're like handcuffed waiting. to a chair type thing. You weren't in a cell and given, wasn't going to stay for longer than 24 hours, but. Oh no, I was given clothes, a toothbrush, a cup and stuff. But I was in there for 24 hours for not paying an MIP because I went to the class, but I forgot to send in the paper. Where, where was this in Colorado? Is that what you said? Color, yeah, Colorado. Um, but I made a lot of friends in there. <laughs> Only Tara gets arrested and goes to jail and makes friends. It was, it was interesting to hear everybody's stories, you know? So that was, but I, I wasn't in there long enough. And I was like, why am I in here? And they're like, well, you did something wrong. And I had to sit with that. And I'm just like, okay, I did something wrong. You're right. <laughs> I was in, I was the oldest woman in there. These, I was in there with a bunch of 20 year olds, catty, little bitchy 20 year olds that all they wanted to do was fight and argue with each other. It was like, like my kids fighting and arguing at home constantly it was i didn't <laughs> hey, what, do, do you almost feel like you're saying you know you, you want to say to them like don't choose this life like this oh is i did i did but there was so many of them in there that were like oh yeah this is my third time in here and it was in the winter when i went and a lot of them now this is interesting there was a few of them in there that were drug addicts and in the summer they lived on the streets did their drugs they didn't have any place to go in the winter so they would reoffend just so they had a place to live in the winter i was just gonna ask that to go to jail i i, I was like what i discovered that when i was arrested too wouldn't you want a better life than that i mean i was i was really confused about that I think that a lot of people, there's a lot of talk around the unhoused in the United States, um, if that's the correct nomenclature. There's a lot of talk about that, and there's a lot of talk about why why do these people reoffend? Why are they incarcerated, et cetera, et cetera? It's because it's a hot meal, it's a potential shower, yeah. and it's and it's and it's a and it's a roof over your head, whether it be for 24 hours, 48 hours, two weeks, whatever it is, and that's why there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of conjecture around the unhomed and 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 they're and offending, and um, it's not usually they're not it's petty crime. You know, what yeah. I mean? it's not they're not committing violent crime. They're doing this because they just want to be taken off the streets and have and have it's a it's safer to be in jail than it is to be in your tent on the sidewalk in East LA. 
And it's very yeah. unfortunate. It, it is. It is. And these girls are so young. It's like, you know, I, I, they 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 have so they're so young and they they have so much potential uh, to better their lives. Um, I, I don't know. After it's everywhere because we're. I'm in small town New Hampshire, so you're. You know, it happens in LA, but also small towns New Hampshire. It's everywhere. It really is. And, and people just don't understand that sometimes that it's just, it, this is a problem that we all have to face. Yeah. Yeah. After you got out, what was the recovery process like? What was the healing process like? I know you said you got into therapy. Was it after that? Yeah, I did therapy before I went in. And then um, my counseling continued when I got out. Uh, uh, they... Um, paid for a, I was in this program, it was called alternative sentencing. It was part of the courts, um, a program that the courts had. And uh, they, they, they actually funded my counseling for seven years. Um, it was great. I, I had a wonderful counselor. She, um, she, she really like, you wanna heal? We can do it, but, you know, it's kind of funny because when she died, when she diagnosed me with PTSD, I was like, I don't have PTSD. That's for servicemen and women that go overseas that fought in wars or whatever. And uh, she gave me a paper of all the symptoms of PTSD. And she said, you go home and you read that. So I went home a couple of days. I took it out of my pocketbook and I looked at it and. Then I sat and looked at it, and I was like, oh, my God, I have PTSD. Like, I have PTSD. This is like me. That everything negative that was wrong with me was on that piece of paper. And um, I went back that next week, and I said, okay, I have PTSD. Now what? You know, I was like, now what can we do? And, and she just looked me right in the eye and said, we start healing you. And that was, uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, I, I, I had hope. I had hope for a better life. I had hope for a better me. And, um, and we, we just worked on every single thing on that paper. My depression, my anger, I had a ton of anger. Um, my fears, uh, my nightmares, um, my anxiety, uh, just I, I I had no um I, I I my sadness like just it, it was uh there was a lot there was a lot I had to work on. I wonder if you being in a combatic uh trauma too where you have to fight, um, if you had those fits of rages because I did. Oh yeah. Oh oh yeah. I uh yeah, I was an angry person. I was I was an angry, angry person, and it, you never knew what was gonna trigger my anger. It was, it was just like, like that. I could be throwing something. Like my husband could be sitting there at the table, 
uh, eating or whatever and say something that just pissed me off and I, I'd throw something at him. Um, it, it was just, but it, he didn't even see it coming. It was just, I'd be fine in conversation and then the next thing you know, I was I was in a bit of anger. It, it was uh, It was really bad. It was really, really bad. Yeah. I uh I didn't have I had a hard time at work, mostly my jobs. Um with socializing with other people and working with other people. Uh, I I had a really hard time with that. Because I just um I had no patience for people. Uh and I I just um I was not a good person. <laughs> I was not a good person, um, but I put a I put up a good front. Like I'm fine, and nothing's bothering me. And you know, a lot of people are, are, are under the assumption that when you go through something traumatic in your life, you just um, you know uh, deal with it, get over it, and and move on. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. You you don't do that. You can't. You you have no control over that. You wish you could, but you can't. And uh, I, I hit a lot of things from a lot of people. A lot of stuff came out, especially in my podcast, Invisible Tears, that my closest friends of 30 years, they're like, you never told me that. You hit it so well. And that's what I did. I tried to hide things. I hit everything I felt so well, except unfortunately my family knew, uh, like my anger issues and stuff like that. I lost it on a trash can the other day. <laughs> <laughs> also, I stole my car and then there was other stuff that happened and then it just led me to like, and I literally just took the trash out of the trash can because someone else put it in there. Well, it's not a trash can, actually. It's a laundry bin, but people were putting trash in there. So I took the trash and I flung it. And then I flung my phone on accident. And then I was like, Tara, what did I just do? That was a moment of trauma. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of screamed for a minute. At least it's an inanimate object. But you're so cute. I would have never seen that coming. <laughs> Thank you. But it's like, you know, with the unresolved trauma, and especially when something happens that re-triggers you, yeah. it unfortunately, you know, I will never get to the place where I go and attack someone, to be honest, because yeah. I've worked through that with EMDR. Did you do EMDR? Oh, I did. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so when you work through it, you're like, okay, I won't go to that response, but there's things that might happen that will re-trigger you to, you know, that you're like, okay, I need to do a few tweaks here in therapy. (laughs) I've learned myself um, when I feel a trigger coming on, when I feel like I'm getting that angry or or, um, anything like that, I really step back and really rethink, okay, is this situation, does this situation warrant throwing something across the room? Uh, You know, let's rethink about why you're mad 
and how mad you really are and maybe, you know, give yourself a minute and, and uh, then deal with the situation. That was a lot of the tools. Like my counselor was really heavy about giving me tools to deal with certain situations and different situations, um, especially if I had a trigger. Uh, she was really, really good with that. Um, you know, last day I was pissed off about a, a situation and uh, I was stewing and I was swearing and I was yelling and, and um, I thank God I didn't have to deal with that situation last night. I dealt with the situation today, but I had I rethought everything through before I addressed the situation today. And I and I dealt with it in a very normal, sensible, calming way, which I'm sure had I dealt with it last night, I would not have gotten the positive results I, I got today. And um so she was so like like that with tools for me. And I use them. I still use them every day. I love that. Therapy is so great. Oh, it is. Everybody should have therapy. Everybody should seek a, a counselor at least once or twice in their lives. Then they'll see. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know about you, but do you ever notice some people now? You see them and you're like, oh, they need counseling. I don't know if they realize <laughs> it, but... Oh, they need counseling. That they they need some anger management there. <laughs> I I never noticed that about people, and now I notice it because I was there once. It was like I can't imagine how many people looked at me and were like, "Oh, she needs some counseling and <laughs> anger management there." <laughs> <laughs> we actually do coaching, so we definitely see a lot of those people. <laughs> A lot of, you know, and people, I notice, like, I can always tell someone what to do. And in the moment, I may need to remind myself, like, oh, Tara, you need to do this, where, you know, there was a lot of things that kind of escalated to that moment of me just, th well, and then I was also throwing the trash back into that person's spot. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, I don't want your trash. Here you go. It's back here. <laughs> so, you know, I just like I wasn't just like throwing my stuff. But unfortunately, my phone was in my hand and then that went over with the trash. Um, so, you know, and that's why I screamed because I was like, Tara, you just you just you just got your own karma there. <laughs> 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 but, you know, just we totally see it. And then people hold it in their bodies a lot of the time. And I notice, like, if I look at myself now, like, I have to release my shoulders. I have to, you know, we hold it in our jaws a lot of the time, too. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Now I'll give Collier a chance to ask a question. I just know when, like, there's so in with a similar story or sim like, you know, um, stabbings, um, I, we get excited when we relate to another survivor a lot. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until I started podcasting when I realized there's so many people out there that have stories that can, I can relate to and they can relate to my story. 
like you guys and um it's it's almost like a uh i i felt so alone for so many years like nobody could relate to my story who can i talk to who's been stabbed 27 times and survived a serial killer how could you you know how could you possibly talk to somebody that would possibly even understand what you're going through and share and and since I've been podcasting, man, I've been meeting so many people that have have experienced such trauma in their lives that I can so relate to their stories and they can relate to mine. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but yet I'm thankful for it because I don't feel so alone anymore. Um, it, it's... Uh, I don't know how long you two have been or when you guys uh, initially connected and were able to tell each other's story, but I'm I'm sure that you guys felt, you know, similar to that uh, with the, you know, feeling so alone. Absolutely. You know, it's just this like kindred spirit between, you know, survivors of, of violent crime or true crime and how we're able to relate to one another for absolutely for sure. And it's, it's like, you know, that was one of the foundation, you know, founding sort of principles, if you will, of this podcast was just talking about that, like that commonality, like we have this kindred spirit that no one, you know, I always say to Tara, we're all part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we're all a part of the survivor squad. It's so true. You have oh. this kindred spirit. So perfectly said so perfectly said yeah now i don't have to now i don't have to say it at the end of the episode like i always do now i've already said it so there we go (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like it it gives us strength too like we're badass people we are badass people uh if you really think about what we have survived and uh yeah. I think for a long time I used to sort of wonder why people like listen to true crime or obsessed or listen to these like podcasts or, or, you know, shows that are based on this. And I would just be like, why are they into this? And then somebody said it to me so poignantly earlier this year, they said, Collier, you're missing the point. It's not that they are obsessed with, I mean, so, yeah, obviously some people are in the mind of a, of a perpetrator or whatever. And then some people are looking for ways to protect themselves, but so many other people are also just looking to see someone else get justice or see someone else survive through something that's so traumatic or so horrific and come out the other side, it gives them like something to look up to or they maybe didn't get justice in their own lives. So to see someone get something out of it, it gives them hope and makes them feel, you know, a sort of solace of that. And I was like, wow, that's so, that's, wow, that's really heavy, but it's so true. I think if I, when I was going through all of this as a child, I think if I had seen people who were going through it, I, I would have been more inspired or just been like, okay, I'm going to be okay. Cause I didn't have any of those examples in my own life. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. I totally get that. Um, you know, another thing that, that surprised me was, you know, being in the, the true, the true crime. Um, it wasn't so much people wanted to hear about my attack and how I was physically attacked. 
they were more interested in listening to what my life was like after my attack and my healing process and what I had gone through. Um, and, and I found that a lot of people were like, that was most of what they were listening to was the, my healing process and the PTSD and, and how I was coping and, and, um, all that I had gone through. And my daughter also, um, you know, my daughter, she was, she had, she has some neurological issues, uh, because of my attack, because of, um, her birth. And, um, she was, I mean, we, we live in a very small town, 3,600 people. And, uh, she was bullied pretty bad in school because she was different. And uh, she she st- shares her story about that and what she had gone through, uh, you know, having no friends and and just uh, people um, outcasting her and and just didn't because she was different, didn't want anything to do with her, and and versus, uh, but then bringing it to another level and bullying her, and uh, she had gone through a lot. And, and shares her story, and it, it just was, um, you know, people don't realize what what victims of violent crimes or, or what what victims um, that have experienced anything traumatic really, really go through. And I, I'm extremely transparent with invisible tears. Um, I do, I do with with Dark Valley. And that project, I do more of getting to know the victims and and getting to know, you know, what happened to them and their families and 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 all that. Um, but with with invisible tears, I, I really focus on, you know, people that have gone through something traumatic in their lives and and how they deal with it and what they have to go through. Um, I got hate letters. <laughs> I was on unsolved mysteries. Uh, a few years after my attack, um, again, no internet then. This was in the early 90s. No social media, no internet. But people literally took the time to sit down and write me hate letters uh, and send them to me. Put a stamp on them and send them to me. And, uh, you know, these hate letters were, you know, telling me to stop playing the victim card. Uh, telling me that I needed to, um, you know, take responsibility for what happened to me. I made I made the choice to stop and get a soda that night. Uh, I put my unborn child, you know, in danger. I made that choice. Um, and these were letters I carried around for years. And, and one of my main symptoms was survivor's guilt. And, and and part of the survivor's guilt was I blamed myself for stopping to get that damn soda that night. I I I blamed myself and, and and in my mind I put myself in that situation. So when with receiving these letters, it was almost like giving me confirmation that I was feeling exactly the way I should feel. And it wasn't until I went to my counselor uh, when I started counseling, 
she said to me, she, she was like, Jane, you're, you're placing too much blame on yourself. This was not your fault. This was his fault. He, you did not. He, he made the choice to attack you. That was not, you did not provoke that. Why do you blame yourself? And I said, well, the letters tell me. So I brought in the letters to her and she read them and she was in disbelief. She was like, oh my God, these letters mean nothing. These people don't know who you are. These people were not there that night. They don't know what the situation was. Take these letters, we put them in an ashtray and we burn them. And she's like, they're done. Those letters are gone. Those people are gone. The, they were judgmental people that knew nothing about nothing, and they mean nothing to you in your life. And um, that was so empowering to me. That was like, That's oh, awesome. my God. I don't have to think yes. about that anymore. I don't have to read those letters anymore because I've read them off and on over the years. And, um, you know, that was so huge. Uh, but this is stuff that victims go through that people don't realize. Um, financial. I had over $100,000 in medical bills that I was brought to court and court ordered to pay uh, because my, my attacker was never found or convicted or identified. Uh, I was held responsible for them. You know, people didn't realize that. So there's, there's so much that people just do not realize that what we go through or have gone through after our traumatic event, they don't see that. They don't know until they have experienced it. And I share all that on, on Invisible Tears. Well, I was going to say it's nice to know that nothing's changed in the last 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> because, because we get this all the time. And I, you, you said it early, much earlier in the interview. You said there are these people that are like, just get over it. Just get over it. Oh, but, you know, and it's like we, we are over it, but we're allowed to talk about it. That's our story. Mm -hmm. Just like if someone goes and wins the lottery and they talk about it and they're like, this changed my life. It's amazing. And they're going to, does anybody say, oh, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they do actually, but you know what I mean? Because people don't like to, people, people love to live in this sort of this bubble of schadenfreude where they want people who have had really bad things happen to them. They want them to be miserable. They want them to feel guilty. They want them to, to be angry because they're angry and bitter. And it's so frustrating. And it's so frustrating when people reach out and they just have really horrific things to say. You know, they'll say to me, oh, I'm the one that caused my mother's murder because I told her that my, I told her about my father's affair. It's like, dumb, dumb. She knew about the, I was an 11 year old kid. She knew about the affair. She knew his mistress was pregnant. She knew about all this stuff. She knew about the 40 other affairs he had had before that. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's like the people are so myopic and just, they're stupid. They're just, there's no yeah. other way to, or short sighted. I mean, I don't want to mean to call anyone stupid. They're really short sighted. They just do not understand the layers of this. Something as simple as, now you're faced with $100,000 with the medical bills. What, do they think the Santa Claus comes and picks that up and pays for yeah. that? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's ignorance. I call it ignorance. Uh, they just, and they're so judgmental. People are so yeah. judgmental. It's like, 
stop being so judgmental. I mean, unless you are born perfect and and you have had a perfect life and you have made perfect choices and and you know, you're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So you have no right to judge others. Right? I say the only thing that people can recommend is like, "Hey, I tried this therapy. It worked for me. This is my experience. Awesome." You know, I hear it so many times. I'm going to, you know, I heard about spot therapy through someone. I'm going to want to try that, you know? So like suggestions like that in a kind way is like about like but bring your experience into it you know don't just say hey you should try emdr say hey i tried emdr it worked for me i thought it was great just thought i share absolutely oh exactly and i'm the same way with with invisible tears i you know i let people know right off i am not a counselor i am not a therapist but i hope to help you with sharing my story sharing my healing um and and that's what i can do um and if i help that one person great you know absolutely absolutely where can we find you on social media everything i'm gonna send you our link tree but i can also share some of it with you now i have people for this so i I don't wish do, I had people. <laughs> I don't do the social media stuff. I just don't understand it. But um, I have co- I have two co-hosts. I have um, Amanda and her husband Drew are my co-hosts. Um, she's also my life coach. She does all the editing with Drew. Uh, they both produce the show at uh, the show Invisible Tears. Um, so you can find me on Invisible Tears. Um, podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, we have uh, a website invisible-tears.com and you can find us on Facebook and we have an email invisible.tears1966 at gmail.com We will have links to all of Jane's podcast and social media in the show notes of today's episode. I always tell Tara, we are all a part of a squad that no one really wants to be a part of, but we are all a part of the Survivor Squad. Jane Borowski, thank you so much for joining the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Quite a story, isn't it, Tara? Oh, yeah. No, I am just so amazed because she was even able to protect her baby until full term. Yeah. And that amazes me so much. Yeah. she. I mean, it's incredible that, that she survived. <laughs> yeah, such an interesting interaction with her just, you know, making that one decision to sort of snap back at him when everything would have been fine and, and she would have just moved on and then it just um, it unfolded the way it did. But um I'm glad that she's doing all right. I'm glad that she got her her addiction under control and that she's, you know, made something of her life and she's, you know, sharing her story to help empower other survivors because that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, no, and I hope she gets justice. I hope she finds yeah. out who the person is or gets closure on that. I just hope if this person's still alive that 
she's able to find him now, you know? Yeah, with answers and DNA evidence and internet sleuths that are out there, it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, might have a good chance, especially with the awareness that she's raising through the podcast itself. Yes, and then she has her own podcast as well, Invisible Tears. So be yep. sure to check out those two podcasts. And we will have links to all of Jane's shows and everything in the show notes of today's episode, all the resources, etc. And Tara, you are doing an event in Sedona, correct? That's coming up around the corner. Yes, it's going to be October 13th through the 16th. I have a place picked out where we're going to get a sound bowl class, but with like a salt room around us. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to be hiking in the vortexes a couple of days and then also just like meditations. It's going to be great. Lots of healing. I'm going to create a journal for it. Lots going on, you know? Yeah, yoga retreat too, right? Yes, and yoga every day. Yoga every day because you are a certified yoga instructor. Uh-huh, I am. And now I did my Reiki level one too. So uh, check that out. We will have links to where you can sign up for Tara's retreat in Sedona, October 13th through the 16th, which is just around the corner. You guys can check all of that out in the show notes of today's episode. Yes, or just send me an email and connect with me. Until next time, survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. We'll see you guys. See ya. We'll see you at CrimeCon. Yes. The Survivor Squad Podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad. Mover Nation, you guys all know how I lead a really busy life, right? And I know we could all use a little more relaxation. Now, whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest, Next Evo's CBD will be your best friend. But, and this is big, not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Next Evo Naturals and Movers, it's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, they've undergone four clinical trials, a feat unmatched by any other brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex Gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value limit one use per customer. That's N-E-X-T-E-V-O dot com slash MPT.